we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. So I'm here with Jess. I'm here with Dave. And we're going to talk about smoking. Have you ever smoked, guys? Once. Yes. Well, cigarette once. Well, did you consider yourself smokers no. or just have smoked? No, 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 no. Definitely not a smoker. Tried it, didn't enjoy it, moved on with my life. I first smoked when I was 12 years old, maybe 11, with my sister in uh, the outback of Australia, in the shed. I had an entire cigarette and puked my head off. <laughs> I did not smoke again for over a decade. Thank you very Wait, much. Wait, what happened a decade later? A decade later, some reason in medical school, Australia, this is in the 80s, Lots of people were still smoking in Australia in the 80s, and it was cool. And for some reason, I started smoking. And for about six months, wow. whenever I went out with the boys, I would have some beers and I would smoke. And I tried to um, stop smoking. And for decades afterwards, whenever I would have a beer, I'd have an overwhelming craving for a cigarette. So, kids, don't start smoking. And we're about to tell you why. Do you have any tobacco? I don't smoke. Smoking has been around for a while, at least dating back to 5000 BC to the Americas. Now, this does beg the question, who was the first person to look down at a patch of dirt and say, you know what would be cool? Gather up some of that grass, dry it out, roll it into a tube, light it on fire and breathe in the smoke. How cool would that be? Can I get a totally bro up in this semi-hunter-gatherer culture? Starting in the 16th century, as Europeans migrate to the exciting new Americas, Tobacco smoking and cultivation takes off. And for a long time, it was all good. Since everybody's life expectancy back in the day was so short that the link between inhaling the smoke from burning leaves and things like COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and cancer was not appreciated. Per capita smoking peaked in the 1950s and the total cigarette production peaked in the early 80s. And at its peak, nearly 60% of adult men and 35% of adult women were smokers. Smoking was everywhere. It was cool. It was on the TV set. It was in the movies. Everybody that was cool had a cigarette. Light up the lucky. Just light up time. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? The taste is great. Cleaner. Let's real tobacco taste come through. Fresher. Draws easier. And smoother. Nothing beats better taste. Light up time. This is what I was really looking for. Too bad it was also pretty much the worst thing you could do for your health that medicine has ever discovered. Ever. But then the bad news started to roll in. In 1929, in Germany, in Dresden, a guy by the name of Dr. Fritz Leinkind published a paper that said, wait on a minute. Lung cancer and cigarette smoking appear to be linked. Now, it is a curious historical note that that paper made Nazi Germany militantly anti-smoking. Oh, the irony. From the late 1920s to the 1950s and 60s, a series of increasingly sophisticated studies are done until the evidence is overwhelming. And in 1954, the American Cancer Society says... The evidence of smoking causing lung cancer is irrefutable. By the mid-1960s, the Surgeon General of the United States declares that smoking is a serious health hazard. I just don't understand. Why can't something be done about lung cancer? Would you give me a cigarette, please? You won't find it on the death certificate. But one vital factor in Jim's death was this. But wait, Mel, how does all this work? Why are cigarettes so bad? I mean, what are they actually doing? I think we should go on a little bit of a cigarette journey, even though it might be a bit of a drag. So you light up a cigarette, you take a match, you inhale deeply, 
and that oxygen and that flame, well, that causes the tobacco leaves to ignite, releasing the smoke as you breathe it in. Down the smoke goes, past your lips, your tongue, your mouth, down the back of your throat, deep into your lungs. The smoke carries with it drugs like nicotine that get absorbed through the lung and into the blood and sent to the brain where it triggers a pleasurable, desirable response. It's done its job, the job for which it was intended. <coughs> I am in flavor country. But wait, that smoke also contains thousands of other chemicals. So other than just causing pleasure, these chemicals can also cause cancer and do lots of serious damage. The chemicals seep into the cells locally, but they also permeate into the blood. They attack your DNA all over your body, causing errors called mutations. And the cells, well, they try to repair themselves, but the chemicals, they just keep attacking. And over time, this can lead to cancer. Not just cancer of the lungs, though. The cancer of the tongue. The mouth. The throat. The kidneys. The uterus. The skin. Everywhere. You see, you've sent those chemicals all through your body. And not just cancer. The skin gets damaged from the reduced oxygen supply and the constriction of the vessels, causing rapid premature aging with deep wrinkles called smoker skin that makes people look sick and old decades before their time. It goes to the heart, where it constricts blood vessels and accelerates the production of plaques that can rupture and kill the heart in a heart attack. To the penis where the damage can prevent the patient from getting an erection. The ovaries, where it reduces fertility. It causes COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This is where the lung tissue itself gets big holes in it and scarring. The damaged lung doesn't work properly. It can't exchange oxygen. The physical smoke particles are caught by cells called macrophages and sit for years as the body tries to digest them, but often fails. This produces dark lung tissue where once bright healthy tissue resided. In the end, many smokers need bottles of oxygen with them wherever they go. Just the work of breathing becomes enormous for them. It takes so much energy that they become thin and frail. You see, smoking doesn't just attack the lungs. It attacks the whole person from the inside out. And that's tobacco. So by the mid-1960s, you would think at this point where the world knows that smoking is bad for you, that it causes lung cancer and many other bad things, that the public health organisations... And the doctors... And even the tobacco industry would have gathered together to tell the public of the terrible, terrible effects that smoking causes in the human being. But sadly... No. The industry of making, growing, distributing, and selling cigarettes, it was one of the most profitable and largest industries in the world. So admitting to the public that their product, with all its addictiveness, was killing its consumers, well, that would just be bad for business. So what if cigarettes are dangerous? You're a man. The world is dangerous. Internal documents later revealed that tobacco researchers and executives clearly knew the truth, but they suppressed it for fear of losing sales. But sadly, it gets much worse. It would have been bad enough if industry simply had to remain silent, but instead, in a technique widely used today, they went on the offensive. The idea is to create controversy where none actually exists. And if you create controversy, you create doubt. And when people have doubt, well, they're more reluctant to change their behavior. So what they do is they create a research institute and it funds research 
pushing this idea that cancer and smoking maybe aren't really related and that that association is flawed. They even go so far as to create their own journals, produce their own research and distribute it widely amongst the lay press. And of course there's the politicians. You gotta buy yourself some politicians. So they do this and it works. It worked well. For decades after even the companies knew that cigarettes was killing people, there was an enough environment of doubt and controversy that people continued to believe that maybe cigarette smoking wasn't bad. Well, this technique was used again in the 1980s to create doubt about the harmful effects of passive smoking, or secondhand smoke. When again, the overwhelming evidence was that you didn't even have to smoke the cigarette yourself, you just had to stand next to somebody that was smoking and you could get all the same diseases as that smoker. But this kind of nefarious activity can only last so long. Science ultimately will catch up with you, as will the inside whistleblowers. And they did. At the end of 2015, every single major public health organisation recognises that smoking is really, really bad for you. Today, smoking rates in most of the Western world have plummeted. But still, 20% of Americans today light up. And smoking doesn't just produce lung cancer. Smoking is the cause of over 500,000 deaths in the U.S. every year. That's one in every five deaths in the U.S. To put it another way, that's 10 times the number of people killed from cigarette smoke than have been killed in wars fought by America in all of its history. And what about stopping? Well, quitting is really, really hard. Listen to this quote from the American Cancer Society. It may be harder to quit smoking than to stop using cocaine or opiates, like heroin. Researchers recently reviewed 28 different studies of people who are trying to quit using the substance they are addicted to. In addicted patients, 18% were able to stop drinking. 40% were able to quit opiates or cocaine, but only 8%, 8%. could quit smoking. So the best way to quit smoking it's very clear. Is to not start smoking. Because smoking, and nicotine in particular, is one of the most addictive substances on the planet. And of all the lifestyle choices you can make for yourself, smoking is by far, number one, the most harmful thing that you can do to yourself and those around you. Duh, that was the strongest anti-smoking speech I've ever heard. We could use a crusade against smoking, and you're just the man to lead it. Okay, Andy, you ask for it. <laughs> But here's where I lose a few more friends. <laughs> I tried it once in junior high. A bunch of friends were like, do it, man. It's super cool. Try it. I took a puff and it confirmed my suspicion that cigarettes do taste and smell like poop on fire. <laughs> That's actually an, uh, the name of my punk band that I was going to put together. But you know, <laughs> don't steal that, that name. Hey, we're called Poop on Fire. Uh, whatever. Smoking kills. So, uh, speaking of things that you uh, light on fire and smoke, let's talk about weed. Weed, it's in the news. We need to know about it. Whatever you like to call it, marijuana, ganja, skunkweed, cannabis, well, it's been around for a long time. So a couple of years ago, they found a 2,700-year-old stash of marijuana in the Gobi Desert. How many years old was this stash? 2,700 years old. Dude. Dude. Bro? Bro. Dude. Bro. Dude. You see? A really long time. 
It's really hot in the news right now, as many states are trying to legalize medical and recreational use of the drug. And as a recreational drug, it's pretty safe, especially when compared to the West's most favored drug, alcohol. Lots safer. But that's a whole other discussion for a second opinion episode. For now, Jess wants to tell you about some of the not-so-good effects of marijuana that you probably don't know about. I've been smoking since I was born, man. I could smoke anything, man. About 45% of people in the U.S. have used marijuana. So most people are somewhat familiar with marijuana and its side effects, but perhaps we can tell you five things that you didn't know about marijuana. One. Let's start by talking about medicinal uses of marijuana. Some doctors prescribe it for chronic pain, glaucoma, seizures, nausea, vomiting. However, most doctors don't prescribe it because there's little evidence to prove that it's better than conventional therapies. And laws vary greatly by state as to how it can be prescribed. You see, doctors tend to like evidence and science. We wear lab coats and collect data. My fellow nerds and I will retire to the nerdery with our calculators. So most doctors are going to be reluctant to start a therapy that isn't backed by solid evidence. There are marijuana derivatives approved by the FDA, such as dronabinol, which is called Marinol, that are used as appetite stimulants and as nausea medications, especially for cancer patients. So there is evidence that marijuana is useful for some medical conditions. It just might be less than you think. Two. Now let's get a little more obscure with number two. It's something called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. If you're a regular pot smoker who likes their tea time at 4.20, answer these next few questions. Do you have recurrent abdominal pain? Yeah. Do you also get nausea and vomiting? Yeah. Do your symptoms improve with hot showers? Uh, yes. Then you may have cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Huh? It's something we see in the ER commonly, and people can get quite sick. They get severe pain, nausea, vomiting, and dehydration, often requiring IV fluids and medications. It doesn't improve unless you quit using marijuana. Three. For number three, I'd like to tell you about a dangerous variant called synthetic marijuana. It's also called K2, Spice, Crazy Monkey, Chill Out, and Spice Diamond. The packaging may call it incense. It's sold in retail stores like gas stations and on the internet. It's a synthetic cannabinoid mixed with other herbs. And it may have similar effects to marijuana, but unlike the more pure and natural forms of marijuana, it can produce severe and life-threatening effects. Just in the month of April, more than a thousand people around the country were treated at poison centers after being exposed to synthetic marijuana. These include things like tachycardia, which is a fast heart rate, agitation, vomiting, hallucinations, profound paranoia, muscle spasms, seizures, and even kidney failure. As an ER doctor, I have to add here that I've seen multiple patients acting like William Wallace trying to take on the English army. They get so agitated that we have to restrain them and sedate them to prevent them from hurting themselves or other people. They've crashed cars, broken bones, and gotten kidney failure from using K2. Four. Number four is legalization. Marijuana is now legal in Colorado, Oregon, Alaska, Washington, and the District of Columbia for adults over 21. Like alcohol, there's a legal limit for marijuana, and in Colorado, it's five nanograms per milliliter. So for all of you out there trying to figure out how many pot brownies you can eat before it's illegal to drive, here's the answer from a doctor. I have no clue. That measurement means nothing to me. Different edible products have different amounts and people metabolize at individual rates, so that's the problem. There is no answer. 
Here's another problem. Some pot cookies have six servings of marijuana. Who's eating one-sixth of a cookie? No one. You're going to eat the whole cookie, especially if it tastes better the more of the cookie you eat. Edible marijuana takes at least 30 minutes to take effect, so if you're diligent enough to follow the packaging and eat one-sixth of a cookie, you won't feel any effects. So you keep eating, and by the time it hits you, you've eaten six times the suggested amount, and the effects of ingested marijuana can last up to 12 hours. Whoa. Five. So finally for number five. Old school natural marijuana is actually a pretty safe drug, but there are some health effects you probably don't know. This is the doctory stuff. In general, smoking marijuana smoke is just as bad, maybe worse, than smoking cigarettes. But in case that wasn't compelling enough, marijuana can also affect your gonads. Chronic use suppresses testosterone. It lowers your sperm count, which affects fertility, and causes gynecomastia in men, which is essentially male breasts. So men, it makes your breasts grow and your testes shrink. And women, it can make you lactate spontaneously. So there you have it. Hopefully you learned some things you didn't know about marijuana. This is a bummer, man. That's, uh, that's a bummer. So now you've got yourself hooked on pretty much the worst possible thing that you can do for yourself, smoking. Now, how are you going to stop? Well, what about vaping? What about vaping, Jess? Have you heard of electronic cigarettes? Or maybe your eye's been caught by that subtle blue LED glowing tip. Smoking e-cigarettes, known as vaping, is rapidly growing in popularity, even though they're banned in several countries. Let us break down for you how they work, if they can help you quit smoking, and if they're safe. It's interesting to follow the money. Who do you think owns e-cigarette companies? They're more and more being bought up by the big three tobacco companies. It's almost like they're taking advantage of people's addictive behaviors. It requires a moral flexibility that goes beyond most people. The three main components to the e-cigarette device are a battery, a replaceable cartridge which contains the flavored nicotine liquid, and an atomizer. The atomizer is a chamber that heats the liquid and vaporizes it. Otherwise, it'd be like spraying banaca in your mouth. The circuit is activated either manually by pressing a button or with inhalation from a pressure sensor. So one benefit of vaping versus cigarettes is that cigarettes require combustion that gives off smoke, tar, carbon monoxide. Vaping is an aerosol that doesn't give off these other products. So let's get to the two big questions. Can it help me quit smoking? And is it safe? Many argue that it can help people get off cigarettes, which are much more harmful. And it may be more effective than nicotine gum or patches because the behavior mimics smoking. The scientific literature on e-cigarettes is limited. We know it's harmful, but likely less so than smoking cigarettes. But we don't know the social patterns about vaping. It's unclear how many users are smoking trying to quit versus ex-smokers now using e-cigarettes versus people who just want to use both. One of the major public health concerns is marketing to kids. More and more junior high and high school age kids are vaping. But you're saying, well, at least ads are banned on TV, radio, and print, right? I'm Jenny McCarthy, and I finally found a smarter alternative to cigarettes. Blue e-cigs. Blue satisfies me. Well, that law, which passed in 1971, only applies to tobacco cigarettes and not e-cigarettes. So your kids might see a commercial while watching their favorite episode of The Snugglebots. It's really unclear if people will use e-cigarettes as a means to quit smoking or if they'll just be dual users. 
Believe it or not, there are very few high-quality studies looking at this question. But the studies we do have suggest that compared to going cold turkey, using some form of nicotine replacement helps people to kick the smoking habit. And making that replacement of nicotine in the form of an e-cigarette helps a little more. Is vaping safe? We know it's harmful, but time will tell just how harmful it is. How do we know it's harmful? You see, there's no regulation over what's actually in these products. So you're just basically trusting the company's packaging to tell you what's going on in your body. And remember that these companies are making money off addictions. It's not a bake sale for charity. The liquid is made up of nicotine, flavors, water, and propylene glycol. Let's talk about the ingredients, starting with propylene glycol. It's approved by the FDA and used in lots of medications. It's how they make fake fog for your favorite Halloween event. The problem is, it was never intended to be inhaled deeply multiple times per day. It's probably no big deal to breathe in a little at a concert, but no one is putting their mouths on the fog machine and inhaling it day after day. We know that vaporized propylene glycol irritates the lungs, and we just don't know yet how harmful it will be. E-cigarettes, of course, contain nicotine, but typically in smaller doses than cigarettes. And as we've discussed, nicotine itself has many health effects. But the exact amount of nicotine and other chemicals in that e-cigarette? Well, they're not very well regulated. Because of this lack of regulation, random tests have found random chemicals, such as the weight loss drug Ramonabant or the erectile dysfunction medication Cialis. What could be better than vaping while losing weight and gaining libido? I'm sure that slipping those drugs in was just an accident. Think of smoking and nicotine as a scale of badness. Smoking a lot of cigarettes is really, really bad. Smoking an occasional cigarette or cigar is bad. Vaping, in comparison, is less bad. Even the secondhand smoke of e-cigarettes is less bad. You see, there's no side stream with e-cigarettes. Side stream is that smoke coming off the cigarette when the smoker's not inhaling. The only secondhand smoke that comes from an e-cigarette is what gets exhaled. Right now, the laws don't include e-cigarettes for smoke-free areas, and there's few limitations on marketing, including targeted marketing to youth. Organizations like the American Heart Association are fighting to change this. Remember, when it comes to nicotine, it's a scale of badness. So if you're going to step into the street without looking, better walk into the bike lane and not the highway. All this talk about how bad smoking is, is a downer, right? But fear not, here comes the good news. And it is very good news. You see, the human body is made to repair itself. And if somebody stops smoking and really stops, it sets about correcting the damage as fast as it can. If you quit, the data shows that your chance of dying from a smoking-related illness drops remarkably. Every day is an opportunity to make a positive change. Ah, but the question is how? There are lots of interventions and plans and doctors and a dizzying array of websites that promise to cure you with their snake oil, but there is some science here. Let's go through it really quickly. First of all, medications can help. The one big medication is nicotine replacement. Remember that people crave nicotine, and if we give it back to them, those cravings for a smoke are much less. And you can give this back as a patch or a gum or a vape or an inhaler, and it goes on and on and on. But the good news is that in lots of studies, it helps. It's no miracle cure, but it really does help the craving and reduce smoking. There are a bunch of other medications that have been proven to help. Not to mention stopping by just going cold turkey, or slowly reducing the number of smokes over time, or financial incentives, or non-medical interventions like acupuncture and behavioral therapy, and of course, lots of internet snake oil. But the point is there's lots of options. There is hope. So whether you stop by yourself, or whether you get help, stop. Because as soon as you stop, you start healing that day.
My mommy, she says cigarettes kill. Really? Now, is your mommy a doctor? No. A scientific researcher of some kind? No. Well, she doesn't exactly sound like a credible expert now, does she? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that's all we have time for for this episode. In the next episode, we'll talk about hookahs. Are they safe? And what about a weed versus alcohol-based society? Which would be the best choice from a public health point of view? The answer might surprise you. Thanks to Jess Mason, Dave Mason, my name's Mel Herbert. Thanks also to our punk band, Poop on Fire, also known as Aces, with Luke Pochask. This Won't Hurt a Bit is a production of Fooliboo Incorporated, produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt a Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor, so be sensible and keep it real. And this... Oh, this. 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 This.